Good morning, good morning, good morning. It's a great day to be here, isn't it? Celebrate the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. This morning, if you have your Bibles, turn to 2 Peter chapter 1. That's on page 983 and 984 in the little blue Bibles that are in the, in the chairs there. 2 Peter chapter 1, that's 983 and 984. Before we jump into the Word this morning, I just want to share up a couple things. Um, as we are winding down this school year, I just want to give a big shout out to all of our kids build workers, our children's church workers, our Sunday school workers, our Wednesday night workers. We have so many workers. I mean, it's like 120 spots filled with workers in our student ministries. And so can we give them a big, just a big thank you right now? The ministries go forward here because we have people that God has impressed on their hearts to serve in student ministries. And I can tell you, I am so grateful. Uh, you know, I was even just thinking this past week, we were eating dinner with some friends, and I was just hearing stories of people who were youth directors from years ago. And I was just like in awe of, man, those who've gone before us and then those who are working now, it is, it's such a blessing. So thank you, thank you, thank you. This past week, we had our, our fa- church family skate night. We had 139 skaters out there with like 30 or 40 other people. Um, we shared the gospel that night. Stuart shared his testimony. It was a great night. So thank you for those who came out. I would encourage you next year when we do this, I don't care if you skate or not, come on out. Hang out and talk with people. It's a good time to fellowship. If you do enjoy skating, I don't care if you're one or if you're 101, come on out. Um, it's always fun to watch someone fall. And so we would love, love, love to have you come on out. This morning we're going to be talking about last words remember. Like, last words. Like, you got to remember this. When my kids were young, my wife and I were getting ready to take off on a trip. And uh, I don't remember if it was overnight or if it was just for a date. But I remember she, like, gave us a little cheat sheet. Remember that, baby? Yeah, she gave us a little cheat sheet of what words meant. Like, uh, dighty. What does dighty mean? Um, and it was like, and so, I think it was your mother? Yeah, it was your mom. All right. Sorry, I'm pointing. She's right over here, camera. She's right there. Um, we give his cheat sheet to her, and we're like, okay, so here's the instructions. Here's the thing. Don't forget this, this, this. These are important things. Don't forget that. And then as my kids got a little older, they had started having babysitters. And they'd come in and start, you know, um, they would, play with them, and do all these different things. But we always give, like, right before we go, there's always this last word. Oh, i got to remember to tell the babysitter this. Anybody ever have those moments? Or, like, you call a babysitter while you're out because you're like, I forgot to tell the babysitter this. We have those moments of, ah, i got to tell you this. you got to know this. But then as my kids got older and they weren't getting babysitters anymore, I would remind them to do things. Like, um, can you make sure you take the garbage out? Who here has had a teenager who is always perfect about taking out the garbage. Raise your hand. No. None of us. Teens are teens. they got to be reminded sometimes. And sometimes they might even use the words, I know, Dad. Did anybody else have a, dad, a son or daughter that says, I know, Dad? Yeah. My kids are angry at me right now. Kids, this is not picking on you, I promise. Because in today's message, we're going to have an I know, Dad moment. We're going to be talking about that here in a few minutes. But then I can tell you, as my kids are getting older, 
And as my son is getting married this year, yeah, I'm like super excited. Love, love the lady he's, he's marrying. Um, but as he's getting married, I'm having this rush in my heart. And I don't know if this is weird or not. This rush in my heart of, what are the last things I have to tell him before he gets married? He's leaving the home. What are the things he needs to know? He, smart man, smart man, awesome young man. But this, this, I, he, know this, don't forget to do this. Does anybody else feel like that when, as their kids were leaving the home? Some of us, yeah. Because we recognize when they leave the home, they're not going to be here, here around us to hear our nagging voice anymore. And so we're like, don't forget this and remember this. But then as life goes on, we get other reminders. And we want to share our last words. In fact, this past week I was talking, I was hanging out with some friends, and I had this really cool epiphany. When I die at my funeral, I want to speak at my own funeral. I want these last words reminders. And so they were saying, well, Nathan, why don't you just like videotape it? And you can be like there and share it out there. That would be really weird, really creepy. But there's always these last words, these last reminders that people might go, well, I know, I know, I know Dad, or I know Nate, and we just need to be reminded. You see, 2 Peter is Peter's, really, his last letter of reminding. Most scholars think he's in Rome, between 60 and 65 AD. There's torture of the Christians going on. And as we're going to read here in just a minute, he knew he was near the end of his life. And he wanted to remind the church in Asia Minor of some key important truths. And so today, as we look in 2 Peter, these key important truths, I can tell you, Peter acknowledged it. These are things that they already knew. They were already living. But he felt like he needed to remind them. And today, I want to let you know these are things you might already know, you might already be living, but I want to remind you, don't forget. It's like, above all else, don't forget these things. So let's look at 2 Peter chapter 1. Now I know we normally start reading at the beginning, but we're going to jump actually to start verse 12, and then we're going to go back to 1 here in a few minutes. 2 Peter 1, which is on page 983 or 984, starting at verse 12. So Peter said, so I will always remind you of these things. Now the things that are these things are what he talked about previously before and the things he can be talking about in the future. So I will always remind you of these things, even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth you now have. I think it is right to refresh your memory as long as I live in the tent of this body. Because I know that I will soon put it aside as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. And I will make every effort to see that after my departure, you will always be able to remember these things. You think Peter's trying to remind them to remember, to not forget? The things that they had already known, they're even put into practice. It's almost like they could say, I know, Peter. In fact, let's practice this phrase together. I know, Nate. Or can we do that? 
because you're going to probably hear, you're going to probably go, I know that, Nate. All right. But this is key truths that we need to keep as bedrock in our life and live it out as we are living out a productive life as Christians. So when I say one, two, three, on three, one, two, that, we're going to say, I know, Nate. All right. One, two. Yeah, you know it. Great. So happy for you. But let us get into our thick skull so this is actually something that is second nature. Because I can't tell you how many times I told someone something and they say I know, but then they'd forget. You ever told something to someone and they said I know it and then they forgot it? Yeah, I, I used to be in construction. I was a carpenter, and I would tell someone to do something. They're like, I know, Nate, I got it under control. Two days later, I'm getting a superintendent calling me up saying, Nate, how come this didn't get done? And I'd be like, oh, snap. Okay, I'll make sure it's done. I go to that person. I forgot. So let's try it one more time. One, two. I know, Nate. There you go. So let's look at verse one, starting with verse one and two. These are things, even in his introduction, that we need to remember, that we need to keep fresh in our souls. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who through the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ have received a faith as precious as ours. Grace and peace be yours in abundance the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. You see, the first thing, that even in this introduction, we need to remember. We need to remember the precious faith. When he says, to those who through the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, have received a faith as precious as ours. Through Jesus Christ, we received a precious faith. What's so precious about the faith of Christianity, of the faith that is founded and firmed up through Jesus Christ, that's completed on the cross. We celebrated last week the resurrection of Jesus Christ. What is so precious about it? It's precious because we have a grace and a peace. It's precious because we have a Savior who died on the cross for our sins. But why was it precious to Peter? You see, Peter was this Jewish guy who grew up in a Jewish home. He was a fisherman. He probably knew the Torah from a young, young child. Learned the law. And he realized how impossible that law was. And they'd get up and do their chores and they would do their rituals. They would keep all 600, over 600 laws. And like, this is impossible. And he grew to be a young man that met Jesus Christ. Can you imagine being the one who lived all those laws, living in total condemnation, knowing you couldn't keep those laws, and then you met this man, Jesus Christ, who was totally different than anyone else. And he walked with Jesus Christ for three Years. Learn ministry through Jesus Christ. Was taught things totally different than what he thought was reality. And then he saw Jesus Christ, his friend, his savior, 
He saw the Son of God die on the cross for his sins. This is Peter who, while he was, Jesus was being tortured and beaten and accused, he was the one who denied him three times. But he's also the one that saw the resurrected Savior. He's also the one that when in the garden, when the women were in the garden, he said, go tell the disciples and Peter, making sure Peter knew. He was the one that Jesus said, do you love me? Yes, and feed my sheep. He is the one that saw both sides of this big, 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 big spectrum. And he goes, this is a precious faith. Because I saw the law. I tried to live the law. I saw the impossibility of the law. And I know this. I couldn't keep it. But Jesus Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords, he fulfilled it. It's precious. So here's the question I have for you. How precious is your faith to you? Do you remember the precious faith? Or do you become numb to the good news of Jesus Christ? Let's do an honest evaluation in our heart. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Did that excite you? Or did you just say, yep, he's quoting John 3.16? Because if it didn't excite you, you might be a little numb to the gospel of Jesus Christ. See how easy it is to quickly forget how precious it is? I've been saved for almost 40 years. And I catch myself sometimes taking the good news of Jesus Christ for granted. And Peter's saying, listen, to those who through Jesus Christ have received this precious faith, grace and peace through our Lord Jesus Christ to you. We have a grace that's offered so freely Do we cherish and treasure the good news of Jesus, this precious faith? Do we understand that even as in Ephesians 2, when we read it's for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, which you used to live in when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us lived a life lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. And like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. That should get the little tingly thing inside you, really tingly. Now, I know not everybody's emotional, so I don't want to put everybody in the same boat. But it should move your firm setting of your life. Like, you may not be emotional, no problem. But it should still move your heart and your mind to say, thank you, Jesus. I was an object of his wrath, but now, because of his precious faith, because of the precious grace of Jesus Christ, I am alive in Christ. And that is something we're celebrating. So the question I have is, are you remembering the precious faith? 
Are you remembering how precious the faith is? This morning, I want to call you back in your memory to the time you came to know Jesus Christ. Think about it. Think about that moment you're like, I've trusted Christ and I'm forgiven. In this past year, I've had several students come to know the Lord in student ministry. And uh, only by the grace of God. I have one who doesn't know the Lord yet. Well, several that don't know the Lord, I'm sure. Um, But I've had different students at different times ask me, Nate, can I really be forgiven? Can I really have all my shame taken away? Student, if you're here this morning, yes. Yes, you can. Friends, do you remember the time when your shame was taken away? Do you remember the time when you experienced that precious faith? And are you remembering the precious faith today? Jesus, talking about the kingdom of God, said this. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and, went his, went, and then in his joy went and sold all that he had and bought that field. Or again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had bought. And he bought it. Here, I want to let you know, friends, this precious faith is a precious pearl that we need to celebrate, celebrate, and go, thank you, Lord. So, I end this point with, how precious is your faith? Remember, remember, never lose sight of that. Let's look at number two. Number two, we are powered by God through divine participation. We are powered by God through divine participation. As we read here in verse three and four, I want to just make this statement with you guys. The weakest Christian is the one who tries to live the Christian life by his or her strength. You guys get that? This is not a pull yourself up by your bootstraps and try harder gospel. That is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel of Jesus Christ is this. We were invited into a divine participation where he works through us. Now let's look at verse 3 and 4. His divine power has given us everything we need for the godly life through Jesus Christ through our knowledge of him who has called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises, so that through them you may participate in divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. We, through Jesus Christ, through his divine power, he has given us everything we need for a godly life, through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through salvation paid by Jesus Christ, we are invited into a divine participation in which God sends his Holy Spirit to work through us. When we have trusted in Christ, our old flesh was crucified to the cross, and we have a new life. In fact, it says this in Galatians. 
I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in this body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. It is no longer us living. It's no longer us striving. It's no longer us working. It is our strife was nailed to the cross. And it's the Holy Spirit through Jesus Christ living in us. We have this new life in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. We are promised a new nature in Christ. Isn't that a beautiful thing? We don't have to live the Christian life on our own. In fact, you can't live the Christian life on your own. There's churches all around America that are saying, try harder, try harder, try harder, try harder. You don't make God happy if you don't try harder. But the good news of Jesus says, I paid. I did it. Let me partner with you. Let me work through you. John 15, 26 says this, But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. You see, we have the Spirit that indwells us. Acts 1.8 says this, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end, and to the end of the earth. We receive that power of the Holy Spirit that wants to work in us. You see, we have everything we need for a victorious Christian life through Jesus Christ, his word that have the promises in it. We don't need to buy special guru books because God's word is sufficient and enough. What we need to do, abide. Abide. John 15 says this. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that he'll be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. So remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me, you will bear much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. You see, we have this divine participation in which God wants to work through us. We need to come to grips that the Christian life is impossible without the power of the Holy Spirit at work in and through us. In fact, I I used to have this little plaque in my office that said this, I want my life, I want to live a life so impossible that I'm desperate for the Holy Spirit to come through. When I was a carpenter years ago, I used different hammers. But in the 12 or 13 years I was a carpenter, you know what's one thing I never saw? Never. 
I never saw a hammer drive a nail without someone holding the hammer. You put a hammer on the ground, it never jumped up, pounded a nail. It just laid there. When we abide in Christ, he is the carpenter, we are the hammer, the nail is the work. He is the power that gets transferred through the hammer to drive that nail. When we abide in Christ, he does a work in and through us. And we get to step back and go, what a beautiful work. But the hammer doesn't say, look at me, I'm awesome. The master carpenter goes, I did that. When we abide in Christ, he works through us. We are invited into a, part, into a participation where God works in and through us. So the question is, are you participating with the master carpenter? Are you abiding? Because through these precious promises, through this divine nature, we have the ability to escape the corruption in the world caused by our evil desires. But if we're not working in divine participation, we cannot escape those evil desires on our own strength. Friends, We're not called to try to live the Christian life on our own. We're called to divine participation where he works in and through us. Are you willing to be used by God and say, God, I invite you into divine participation. I I need you. You see, here Peter's reminding them, listen, remember the precious faith, but also remember that we are powered by God through divine participation. We have that invitation. But not only called by God or powered by God through divine participation, but he wants us through divine participation to have us pursue a productive faith. We get back here. I'm, I'm lost in my thing here. Pursue, uh, there we go. Uh, there we go, Nate. There we go, people. Sorry, I, I hate PowerPoints. We are called to pursue a productive faith. When we abide in Christ, we pursue things that lead to a productive faith. So I want to raise this question with you. What are you pursuing? What are you pursuing? Here, Peter's going to give us a list of things that we need to pursue for productive faith. And I'm asking you, are you pursuing these things or are you chasing after other things? It's so easy to get caught in chasing other things. Let's look at verses 5 through 8. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness. And to goodness, knowledge. To knowledge, self-control. To self-control, perseverance. To perseverance, godliness. To godliness, mutual affection. To mutual affection, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Question for you. Do you feel ineffective? How many would say, Pastor Nate, I've been saved for years and I just don't feel like I'm very effective? Do you feel ineffective as a child of God? 
Let's look to the list he talked about here. Goodness. What is goodness? In this text, this is a God quality of moral excellence. It is saying, God, I want what you want. It is understanding that God sets the standard of good and you pursue him. Knowledge. It's not just a knowledge of God, even though it is that. But it's also the ability to discern God's will and orient one's life in accordance with that will. This comes through the word. We need to be students of the word. Are you a student of the word, <clears throat> word of God? I didn't just ask, did you read your devotions for this morning and get your five minutes in? I asked, are you a student of the word of God? I've honestly heard too many people that have been saved for 30 years tell me, I don't know enough to teach a second grade class. Pastor Nate, I'm sorry. <clears throat> I can't teach kids because I don't feel like I know enough. Brothers and sisters, become student of the word. Grow in that knowledge. Have the ability to discern right and wrong. Because when we can discern right and wrong, discern that truth, then we can have self-control in the right areas. It is what enables believers to avoid falling prey to temptation. Specifically in the context of Peter's time, the self-control that was happening there was sexual, uh, sexuality outside of marriage. There was false teachers and false preachers spreading lies pushing sexuality that was a normal worship of false gods into the church. And he's saying, no, have this self-control. But in today's context, it's much more than anything. Do we have self-control in our life? But with self-control, we're called to have perseverance. This perseverance is also known as endurance. It is the ability to bear up under stress. I'm going to give you a little secret. People were under pressure then, People are under pressure now. We all need self-control grounded with perseverance. It's hard. It's about as hard as that diet that I went on last year. Ah, just stick to it. Get my blood pressure down. Oh, it's hard. We need that perseverance. See, we're called to stand strong and stay true. Now, at this point, you might be going through this list and going, I know, Nate. Right? I know, Nate. These are not new things, Nate. I know. But Peter said, I know you know them. I know you're living them. But I'm going to make sure that when I depart, you remember them. Brothers and sisters, remember them. Remember them. And from perseverance, he said, add godliness. In this, it is a holiness and reverence for God. It is keeping his glory above all else. It is this understanding that God, what you want, I want, like the goodness. But it's also saying, God, I am letting you shift my desires and your glory is above my personal choices.
And then he takes a small shift here. And he says, and then add mutual affection. This mutual affection is that Greek word phileo, which is brotherly love. It's kind of like what we get out of Philadelphia. This is the word which means brotherly or sisterly love. It is the understanding that as brothers and sisters in Christ, we might have friction at time, but we don't let that friction stop us from loving each other. They don't, it, just, it doesn't say just be brotherly. No, brotherly love, right? Some of us have relationships with our brothers and sisters that we don't have a talking relationship with them. Guess what? That's not brotherly love. That's just brotherly or sisterly. This mutual affection means we might have friction, but we don't run away from each other. We press into each other. And I want to just make this little comment here. The only way you have brotherly love as brothers and sisters is when you know each other. If you're new to the church, I'm glad you're here. Press in. Grow with us. Get to know people. If you've been here for 45 years, which this year is our church's 45th anniversary, if you've been here for 45 years, know more people. In fact, let's do this little practice. Start looking around the room. Just do a little glance looking around the room. Look around. Look at each other. Please, I mean, everybody, just try to make a little effort. I know there's a little awkwardness of looking in each other's eyes. Like, they just locked eyes with me. That's so weird. <clears throat> Do you know the people you're looking at? It's really hard to have a brotherly love where you work together, press into each other, have each other's backs if you don't know the people you're with. I would encourage you Get to know them. In fact, today, if you saw someone you don't know, go say, hey, my name's Nate. I'm so, no, don't tell them you're Nate. Tell them your name. <laughs> but go tell them who you are. Introduce yourself to them. Ask them a question about them. Get to know them. And then press in a relationship in brotherly love. Because we are called to that brotherly love. But then, on top of that brotherly love, it says, then add to your brotherly love or mutual affection, add love. Now, that seems like a double whammy, doesn't it? But the, the second love he's talking about here is that agape love. It is that self-sacrificing love. It is the kind that we see in 1 Corinthians 13 that says love is patient, love is kind. If I speak in the tongues of men and angels but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clinging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and cannot fathom all mysteries and knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but I do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body the hardship that I may boast, but I do not have love, I gain nothing. For love is patient and kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrong. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Brothers, sisters, do you have that love? Do you have that say, you know what? I don't care how hard you push me. I'm going to be with you. I don't care how hard you fight me. I've got your back. You know what I'm talking about. Let's be honest. Have you ever been irritated with someone in the church? 
Raise your hand if you've been irritated with the church. I'm going to raise two hands. But love doesn't end. Love doesn't have a cutoff date. Love says we're here and we're brothers and we're sisters. And we have each other's backs. And so this morning, I ask you, do you have that brotherly love? Do you have that, that love of God that says, I have, or I have each other's backs? See, we're called to pursue a productive faith. Ephesians 2, 6 through 10 says this, And God raises up with Christ and seated with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace, expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are his workmanship or his handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do a good work in which God already prepared in advance for us to do. These steps here of adding these things to our faith, we are called to them. But not only are we called to them, according to this verse, we are made for them. And if we abide in Christ, he works them into our life. We pursue them. We are called by God. We are called to a productive faith because we are empowered by a productive God who wants to work in us. To say that again, we are called to a productive faith because we are empowered by a productive God who wants to work in us and through us. Are we coming to God and saying, God, I'm pursuing you. I'm pursuing your knowledge. I'm pursuing your wisdom. I'm pursuing your goodness. Lord, work through me. I'm pursuing your love. I'm pursuing your self-control and your perseverance. Are you living in that manner? Because we need to come to understand that a productive faith can only happen when we stay connected or abide in Christ. Going back to that John 15. I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abides in me and I in him, the same will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, like I said a few minutes ago, you might be going, yeah, Pastor Nate, I know, I know, this is not the most aha message of my life. Well, Peter does a little turn here. It's a warning. Well, it's, a, it's actually, it's a response to what we've read so far. And he said, you, you have, there's two results here. What you do or don't do with this. And this next point here we're going to say is we're going to talk about forgotten faith or a positive position. You're going to walk in a forgotten faith or a positive position. The saddest person in the world is a child of God who has forgotten who they are. <clears throat> Have you forgotten who you are? Well, let's look at verse 9 here. But whoever does not have them, what are those? Have them. What's them? The goodness, the faith, the knowledge, self control, perseverance, godliness, mutual affection, and love. 
Whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind. They've forgotten. They have been cleansed from their past sins. If you're not pursuing these things, if you haven't already, you will forget your faith. I know too many people who've forgotten the faith. I know too many people who in years past I've worshipped with, sang praises to our great God with, broke bread with, and they have forgotten their faith. Why? Because they did not seek to pursue on these things that God wanted to work in them and through them. Have you forgotten your faith? You see, even Christians can forget they were cleansed and forgiven. They can choose not to abide to the point that they feel totally disconnected. And maybe that's where you're at or that's where you've been. You're going, I'm feeling very disconnected. Press in. Brothers and sisters, press in. If you're not feeling disconnected, but you're not seeking out those those, uh, products of faith, press in and seek those out. Because that is a place none of us want to be. Praise the Lord, he doesn't stop there, though. Peter says this in verse 10. Therefore, brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. You'll receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, if we look at verse 10 there, and he says, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. Many of us might be thinking, well, Pastor Nate, does, is that saying basically just like to, to verify I've been saved? Like verify that calling, verify that faith? But if you actually go to the word, that word confirm, that means actually to make strong. To make strong your faith. To build it up strong. In a layman's term today, it would be like to shore it up. To shore it up. If you go all throughout Port Washington here, there are foundations that are caving in throughout a lot of the homes. And they've, a lot of people have had to put these jacks, foundation jacks against the wall. Has anybody had to do that in their homes here? There's been a few people, right? Foundations are caving in, and they put this jack up against it that supports it. Here in this context, he's saying basically, shore it up, make it strong, make it firm, set it strong. Because if you do, then it won't crumble. And you won't stumble. Shore up. Make strong your faith. Make strong that election and that calling. Have you noticed in today's world, there are churches with pastors that have fallen and they've stumbled left and right all over? It's in the news like almost every week I hear about a new pastor that has fallen. It breaks my heart. It breaks my heart as a pastor to know people that have stumbled and fallen. But I'm going to give you a little secret. None of us are above falling. We could all think our, think our foundation is strong, but we need to shore it up. Press in, lean into God's word, 
Seek to add unto our faith that knowledge and that goodness and that godliness. Shore it up. See, the reason why Peter was telling the church then to shore it up is, like I said before, there were false teachers spreading lies. And they were getting confused about what they believed. This false teacher was spreading lies about sexuality, but also spreading lies about who Jesus was, that Jesus was not really God. Spreading lies that Jesus really did not rise again. Spreading lies that there was no going to be returning of Jesus. There's no second coming. Spreading these lies. And people started questioning things. And so Peter's saying, listen, shore up your faith. Shore up your calling. Shore up your election. Build it strong. Build it strong. Build it strong. Because if you do, you won't stumble. But not only will you not stumble, you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. When we build up and shore up that faith, when we live for that well done, well done, good and faithful servant, when we live for that, there is a special welcome for those who have done that, who said, God, I abide in you. You work through me. I'm shoring up my faith. I'm looking to you. I'm shoring up my faith. I'm looking to you. And when we come to that day where we enter the, king, the kingdom of God, when we get to see Jesus face to face, when we go into heaven, there's going to be a rich, warm welcome. That is a roaring crowd that says, yes. Yes. Well done. Just like we hear a welcome when someone comes home from the military and they've been serving overseas, or we see an Olympian who comes home and they're like, the whole city comes together and there's a parade cheering them on. We get to be a part of a parade where we get welcomed into the King of Kings and Lord of Lords into his presence because his work through us. It is not because we are good, because he works through us. So here Peter's saying, you're going to forget or you're going to shore up and have a positive position where you can celebrate and look forward to the day you go to heaven. Not just be like, I know I'm saved. I'm knowing going to heaven. I got my ticket. No. no. I get to celebrate seeing Jesus face to face. I'm not going to him ashamed. I've abided. He's worked through me. Yes! Have you shored up your faith? Or are you on the verge of forgetting your faith? Live for the well done, good and faithful servant. Live for that well done. Because he works through us. So let's close today with just reading verse 12 through 15 again. So I will always remind you of these things. Even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth you now have, I think it is right to refresh your memory as long as I live in the tent of this body because I know that I will soon put it aside as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. And I will make every effort to see that after my departure, you will always be able to remember these things. Church, remember. Remember. Let's pray. This morning, Father, as we come before you, let us remember your precious promises. 
Let us remember your precious faith. Lord, let us remember the goodness of who you are, that you died on the cross for our sins. And there's nothing we could do to earn your grace, nothing we can do to earn your love. Let us remember that you invited us into a divine participation where we are just tools in the hand of the Master. Lord, we pray that you will work through us, work in us, that we will pursue you, we'll pursue your ways, not in our own strength, but because we have this divine participation. Lord, let us never forget that we have been cleansed from our sins. And let us live for the day that we hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Let us live for the celebration. Lord, knowing that even if we are celebrated, we get to cast our crowns back at the feet of Jesus and we celebrate the one, the one who paid Christ, the one who made a way for us to have all of our sins removed. Lord, this morning, let us remember. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.